0: Our reading this morning is from Proverbs. So a selection of verses from Proverbs. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I, wisdom, hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honour. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The proud and arrogant man, Mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. And now we're going to read from Titus, Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is God's Word.
1: Some uh, kind and also harsh and strong words from Proverbs, and some very encouraging words from Titus. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Simon, one of the ministers here. Uh, lovely to see you. Do keep uh, your sheet with Proverbs on it in front of you. And uh, we will at one point have a quick look at Titus 3 towards the end. Uh, so keep those next to you, and as we kick off, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words we've just heard how relevant, how incredibly insightful into our world, into our lives, into our minds. And Lord, as the God who knows our thoughts, who knows the depths of our hearts, we pray that you'd help us to understand our hearts better so that we might live in humility rather than pride for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are returning to this uh, wonderful book of Proverbs after a bit of a break. Earlier this year, we worked our way through chapters 1 to 9, uh, which introduced the book and, and call us to listen to the, the wisdom in the rest of the book. Uh, and then uh, we started working through the rest of Proverbs, the kind of one-liners that take up uh, chapters 10 all the way through to 31. Uh, and we worked through some topics Wealth, speech, anger, friendship, things like that. And we're coming back to that topical series now. So for this week and for the next few weeks, we'll look at some more topics from that second big section of Proverbs. It's worth saying, these one-line Proverbs are a little bit like the practical Proverbs that you get in any culture. Uh, You grow up with them. You know, a stitch in time saves nine. Too many cooks spoil the broth. That kind of thing. Practical, wise advice for everyday living but there's one absolutely vital difference here. Uh, the book of Proverbs is more than just accumulated human wisdom from within a culture. Proverbs comes to us with God's authority here in the Scriptures. Uh, so you, know, you may or may not find it interesting to look back maybe 3,000 years to an ancient culture and find what wisdom they were discussing amongst themselves. But this is also the wisdom of God. This is God's wisdom to us. So we want to look very carefully and closely uh, at this book because it's something that you and I need. We desperately need this book. So let's dive into our, our topic for this morning, which is pride. Uh, pride and the opposite of pride, which is humility. So let's um, let's start with a show of hands. Who here this morning thinks that they are a humble person? Oh, a couple at the back there. Uh, I wondered if anybody would go for that. Slightly tricky one. Uh, was anyone tempted to put up their hand and then thought, oh, wait a minute, uh, what does that reveal about me? Was uh, anyone uh, tempted to look around and see who had put their hand up so you could then feel proud in relation to them? I don't know. Uh, it's a slightly slippery topic sometimes, this issue of pride and humility. So l- let's dig in. Uh, our two main points are there on your sheet. Pride comes before a fall. And the flip side of that, humility comes before honor. And we'll look at those in just a moment. But first we need to spend some time on just how much the Lord... Detests pride. That's the introductory point there on your handout. The Lord detests pride. Look, for example, on that sheet with Proverbs on it at 813. The one speaking in that verse is wisdom, which is the personification of God's wisdom. So this is effectively God himself speaking. And he says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. That's pretty strong, but not as strong as 16.5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. There's no getting away from it. The Lord detests pride when he finds it in us. Now, we've got to be careful. Uh, We use the word pride in all sorts of different ways, don't we? There are positive kinds of pride, negative kinds of pride, good pride, bad pride. What What's good pride? Uh, on Friday this week, I uh, won the parents' sack race at uh, my son Joel's uh, nursery school sports day, and please try not to look surprised about that. Uh, Joel, at the end, came running up to me afterwards, uh, gave me a victory hug. He was grinning all over his face, uh, clearly very proud of his daddy. That was quite a, a, a moment. Uh, I was less proud of myself, um, knowing that my opponents were three fairly dainty mums and a grandad with a gammy leg. Um, LAUGHTER but that's okay, isn't it? Uh, a son being proud of his dad and, and a dad being proud of his son, seeing him occasionally listening to instructions and running the right way during, during the sports. It's fantastic. Um, even uh, pride in ourselves or our actions can be a good thing. And we, we understand that in our society. We sometimes commend people for taking pride in their work or their appearance or even pride in themselves. And the Bible recognizes that difference between good pride and bad pride. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 4, for example, says this. Each one should test his own actions and then they can take pride in themselves. And here's the crucial bit to explain why that pride is good pride. They can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. And that seems to be the difference between good pride and bad pride. Good pride is... In a sense, just a matter of uh, having respect or taking responsibility. But bad pride involves comparing myself with someone else, needing somehow to feel better than them in my own head. And that seems to be the issue here in Proverbs, the bad kind of pride. So look, for example, at four. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. So you've got bad pride on the inside in your heart. What do you get on the outside? Haughty eyes, literally high eyes or rising eyes. You're always wanting to look down on people, always trying to just be a little bit above everybody else. I'm having to stand on tiptoe quite a lot to do that. Um, and this is a terrible game that we play inside our heads. I want to feel good about myself. So how do I do that? I know, I'll find somebody that I can feel superior to, and I'll look down on them. It's quite an addictive game, that is. You you can play it in all sorts of arenas of life. Uh, Maybe that person that I I can see is richer than me, or I feel a bit below them, but maybe I'm more good-looking than them. Uh, Maybe they know more than me about some topic that we're talking about, but maybe I think I've got a better taste in home decorating. Clutching at straws, clearly. Maybe they know more than me about all sorts of things. Maybe they're more witty than me in adult company, but I'm I'm better with kids. Um, maybe their their visible serving in church is more impressive than mine, but my prayer life is amazing. Maybe their children are better behaved than mine, but mine are more intelligent. Uh, I say some of these things because, uh, well, those that know me may uh, doubt some of those things. Um, Do you know the feeling of being constantly, desperately aware of yourself, of how you're performing, how you're coming across to others? Maybe you recognize yourself here. This pride game can consume us. I think that's what 21.4 means when it says, haughty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of a wicked. When you're in the dark and you're using a lamp, the only things that you can see are the things that are lit up by that lamp. In other words, you and I can be so consumed by our our pride, by our desperation to feel superior to others that we can only see the things that that we look for with that lamp. We We can be so consumed by our pride that it determines everything that we see. It's the only way we look at the world around us. When we look at someone else, we're shining that lamp of pride onto them with one goal in mind, to feel superior to them. So I'd are you addicted to that game? I know I have been at times. If so, everything that you and I do, you do in order to prove that you count, that you're worth something, that you're better than the people around you. And life then becomes a sort of constant battle to swim up to the top and use the people around us as uh, uh, to bolster our own feelings of self-esteem. I constantly want to prove myself to you, but even more to myself inside my own head. I want to prove just how wise or powerful or talented or sensitive or sophisticated I am. I want to prove just what a good bloke I am, a good husband, a good dad, a good minister. All of those things occupy my head. Perhaps they occupy yours as well. And then imagine that kind of pride infecting a whole community. Imagine a whole community full of people doing that. How would they treat each other? C.S. Lewis wrote that the, the point about pride is that every person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. So if I'm trying to constantly look down on you, but you're trying to constantly look down on me, I'll try and stop you treating me the same way that I'm trying to treat you in my head. And you'll do the same to me. And we'll all be in this constant battle to use each other to feed our own pride and avoid letting others use us in the same way that we're using them. Are you beginning to see what God detests about pride? It's ugly, very, very ugly. Uh, Look at some of the descriptions in these proverbs of the ugliness of pride. 21-24, the proud and arrogant man, mocker is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. The proud man mocks others maybe publicly, maybe just inside his head, but all to make himself feel better about himself. And then look at that horribly ugly description at the end in uh, 30 verse 11 onwards. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. That is where it all ends up, if we let pride take hold. That is the ugliness of a society where pride uh, dwells unchecked. And we recoil from how ugly that sounds on the outside. Uh, hideously obvious for everyone to see when it gets to that point. But we need to be aware of that same hidden pride in our hearts, motivated by exactly the same kind of ego trip that's going on there. By the way, if you're like me, you might react to things like this and think, well, to be honest, I don't feel superior to people most of the time. I usually feel inferior. Uh, I tend to have low self-esteem rather than pride. Uh, I tend to feel intimidated people rather than above them. Sadly, that proves that you and I are still playing the same game. We're still measuring ourselves against others. It's still that pride battle. It's just that we perceive ourselves to be losing, (laughs) rightly or wrongly, in that game. C.S. Lewis again uh, on how we diagnose pride within us. He says, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me? or refuse to take any notice of me, or shove their oar in, or patronize me, or show off. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular than pride, and no fault which we're more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others, says Lewis. So make no mistake, the Lord detests our pride. It is ugly in our hearts, and it is ugly on the outside in terms of how we treat one another. If we zoom out to the the whole Bible picture for a moment, pride is what damaged our relationship with God in the first place. Human beings have sinned, have rebelled against God, rejecting his rule over our lives, but it's pride that made us think we should do that. And it's pride that makes us still think we can live without God, without his sovereignty, without his rule in our lives. In that sense, pride still is the, the lamp of all humanity we see everything, including God, through that one lens of pride. And quite understandably, God hates that. So let's look really quickly at these two uh, parallel points. Pride comes before a fall, and humility comes before honor. So 1618 on your sheet famously says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's become a a proverb, a saying embedded in just about every culture where the Bible has had any influence, usually just shortened to pride comes before a fall. And it's a theme picked up many times elsewhere in the Bible, but I want us to look closely at these proverbs to see exactly what it means. What does it mean when proverbs said pride will lead to a fall? Well, what we find is that there are two kinds of explanations of that, two ways that pride leads to a fall. First, there are practical explanations and second, there's God's own activity. And we can look at both of those in turn. The practical explanations are quite varied. Pride can lead to a, a fall in a number of different practical, physical ways. So, for example, 11 verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Disgrace is rarely something that comes to the humble because they've not overreached themselves. But the proud person is blind to their own faults. Uh, the proud person refuses to admit limitations, will not receive criticism or warning, and that's inevitably going to be dangerous. The proud person is going to overreach themselves. And if we're proud, we'll step out onto the tightrope, thinking we're fine, thinking that we're going to be absolutely okay, and we won't bother with the precautions. We won't take the balancing pole. We won't have the safety rope. Uh, we won't bother getting any training, because we'll just think, well, I can do that. I've seen other people do that. I can do that. And everyone else around us might be advising, don't do it, don't do it. And we'll be thinking, no, 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 I can't give in. I can't show that I'm weak or afraid. Uh, I've got to prove myself. have got to prove myself superior. And so we just keep walking out onto that tightrope until we drop. Perhaps uh, to apply that, perhaps in our workplace, we're more and more out of our depth, maybe unable to complete the assignments we've been given for whatever reason, lack of time, lack of expertise, but we refuse to admit that, and our refusal goes on and on and on and gets worse and worse until one day it just all becomes uh, impossible, and we're exposed, and it comes crashing down on us. We've gone out onto the tightrope, and we, there's no going back. Or someone says, just be careful, I saw the way you looked at that girl. And maybe you react with angry self-defense, refusing to admit that there's a danger until it's too late. Disgrace follows on very easily from pride. Or 13 verse 10, pride only breeds quarrels. Pride tends to rear its ugly head whenever there is conflict with other people. It makes us stubborn even when we know that we're wrong. Uh, so you're in an argument and the other person says something that you know in your heart is true. And it means that you should give way to their position and admit that you were in the wrong. But something inside you just can't do that, cannot admit being wrong. And you, you feel as if you can't let the other person win because winning in your head is all that you care about in that conversation. So maybe you try another tactic, you change your attack, you exacerbate the argument, you prolong it endlessly... And that can happen in a marriage, that can happen in an office, that can happen between siblings, can happen between parents and children. And then after the event, after that argument has happened and you fought and fought and fought and refused to give way and you were wrong, pride will stop you saying sorry. We know we've said unnecessarily hurtful things, but somehow when the opportunity to apologize comes up, pride is what stops us doing it. We blame the other person, maybe for being too sensitive or something. We give non-apologies, like, I'm sorry you felt that way, rather than, I'm sorry that I did this thing wrong or said this thing wrong. And it's not just when we're wrong. Uh, Pride can kick in when we're right about something as well. Uh, Just look at online social media uh, or uh, the comments uh, sections on uh, websites for five minutes and you'll see that uh, these days it's not enough simply to just say to somebody, I think you're wrong about that and and here are the reasons. You need to have a witty put-down. You need to have a demeaning retort that personalizes the argument that you're making and makes you sound not only right but superior and you've got to get it all within 140 characters so you can tweet it. Pride brings disgrace. Pride brings quarrels. 29 verse 23, a man's pride brings him low. As we've seen, the explanations for that can be very practical. It's just what follows practically from pride. It's the way the world works. If you're proud, your hubris will tend to bring you down. If not immediately, then eventually. Eventually. But there is a second kind of explanation that comes up a couple of times in these verses alongside those practical explanations. And it's a look behind the scenes of the way the world works to God's activity as he personally opposes the proud. So look at 15.25. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact pretty sobering, isn't it? The Lord personally opposes the proud. He can be behind the tearing down of a proud man's house. Now, perhaps if you looked at that situation from the outside, you'd think, well, that that, that guy overreached himself. Uh, Maybe it's just that his business failed or that he left his family for another woman or his finances are are ruined or or that he cheated and defrauded, embezzled uh, his way into trouble with the law. And that's why his house was taken away from him. Who who knows what happened on the surface? But God seems to be saying here, ultimately, I did that. I took away his house. When God says he detests the proud, he doesn't mean he sits far away, like a sort of armchair critic grumpily looking on as proud people get on with being proud in the world. God is involved. He set up this world and runs it in such a way that the proud tend to get their comeuppance. He intervenes, he ordains and arranges things so that that will happen. And Make no mistake, that is a scary thing if you're a proud person. I'm a proud person. That's a scary thing. It's a particularly scary thing if you're leading some kind of double life. Maybe you think very highly of your ability to keep up pretenses to keep on going. The more it goes on, the more you think, I'm going to get away with this. Well, if this verse means anything, I think it means that God has a special interest in overturning the proud. He's capable of intervening, even when you expect it the least. There's been times in my own life when God has seemed bizarrely determined to do whatever it took to expose patterns of sinful behavior or to overturn pride to humble me, to expose my sin. He can do that. You and I are not in control of the circumstances of our lives. God is. But more than that, uh, even, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Now that's a very definite promise, isn't it? Be sure they will not go unpunished, says God. Proverbs sees God, yes, involved in the the daily life consequences of pride, working the world in such a way that uh, the proud tend to fall in this life, sometimes. But beyond all that, there's this promise stated very, very strongly that no one's pride will be left unpunished. And that's got to mean eternity is in view here. A time beyond this life where the proud who have got away with their pride in this life. Without fail, will fall in the end. Now this is good news. This is excellent news. Uh, When you look at the world and see the pride of the proud, and it's very obvious sometimes, and sometimes the humble seem trodden on. Uh, And just like those uh, who uh, the other year somehow lost their companies billions in the city, And somehow in their arrogance thought nobody would notice. They could just keep up that pretense, keep up that cover-up. Eventually, well obviously, it had to catch up with them. Billions don't just disappear from a company's accounts. It had to catch up with them. And eventually God says, pride has to catch up with us. Whether it's in this world or the next. And there must be a fall. The Bible gives us two options for that fall for that judgment. We take the fall. That's option one. Or Jesus Christ takes the fall in our place. That's option two. So we're all proud. Whatever amount of pride we have in our hearts, and we don't want to start comparing each other with each other, so let's not work out what amount of pride we've got compared to the next person. Whatever amount of pride we have, it must lead to a fall, to judgment from God, because he does detest it. So praise God for Jesus, who offered to take that fall for us, and we can trust him. Pride leads to a fall. We want an antidote to pride, don't we? Uh, Forgiveness by Jesus is crucial. But how can this cycle of pride be broken in our lives here and now? So this second point, humility comes before honour. Honour. And we see this in the flip side of a lot of the verses we just read. Uh, so a Glance at eleven verse two When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And fifteen twenty five The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. Uh, twenty nine verse twenty three A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honour. And then there's a few verses there where it's just positively stated. Have a look at 15.33. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. 18.12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. 22 verse four: Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. It's very clear, isn't it, that flip side. Just as pride leads to a fall, humility comes before honor. Now, what is humility? We've said it's a slippery concept. The second you think you've got it, you've probably lost it. Um, what does it mean? Well, it's, if it's the opposite of pride in these verses, then it must be the, uh, the opposite of all these things that we've said pride is. So if pride is haughty eyes that look down on people and a haughty spirit that looks down on others, humility must be lowered eyes, a lowly spirit, where we look up where we consider others better than ourselves where we serve people rather than use people so proverbs would say in terms of humility stop looking down look up what would that look like look like in practice uh, 11 verse 12 uh, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor but a man of understanding holds his tongue Humility will mean not deriding somebody, but holding your tongue. You don't need to voice every criticism that enters your head. You don't even need to think it to yourself. Even when you could very easily pull somebody down, humility will often say, no, that's just pride. I don't need to pull this person down. That is just a selfish motive that wants to do that. 27 verse 2. Very interesting, this one. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else, and not your own lips, I was um, reading a, a Christian book on humility this week, and uh, came across this: Most Americans believe they live in the greatest nation on the earth, written by an American, and the book goes on in brackets: This is not a boast, rather it is a, a fact that few people in the world would deny exclamation mark, close bracket. I thought, how extraordinary. <laughs> So I felt very proud as a Brit to um, uh, to not have that national characteristic. But then it struck me uh, just how regularly Boris Johnson describes London as the greatest city on earth, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe that's bad. Maybe that's bad. But actually, to be honest, it's not a boast. It's just a fact that uh, few people in the world would deny. Um, what does that mean? Never speaking of your own achievement, letting another praise you, and not your own mouth. How do you do that? What about job interviews? Bring a friend who can can say everything that you want to say about yourself. Some, for this reason, would despise the idea of of humility and say, humility is weakness. It is something that holds us back as the human race. It is immaturity. Uh, The philosopher Nietzsche famously derided the Christian culture around him for following a humble saviour, Jesus and said, so you need to escape that and live by power and live by pride. Otherwise, we're never going to get anywhere as a human race. But I read this during the week. Humility really means honesty. Humility simply means being truthful. What do we have to actually brag about? If God did not make the sun rise, what would you do? Did you create your brain? Did you create your eyes to see? Did you create your heart to beat? Did you create your arms to act? Humility doesn't mean a denial of our abilities and an inability to say anything about ourselves. It is a recognition of where it comes from and for whom it must be used. So there are ways of talking about yourself which are self-effacing and full of humble gratitude. Even perhaps in a job interview, as you speak of your accomplishments, you can speak of them thankfully, graciously, with a, a desire to serve rather than a desire to self-aggrandize. Uh, we've spoke of this uh, on Sunday mornings previously, but uh, you may be aware of uh, Jim Collins's work on... Uh, uh, successful companies. He he wrote a very influential book called Good to Great. What makes a company go from being a good company, there are many good companies, to being a great company, one that really takes off? And he says that the executives of both of those types of company are high achievers, very intelligent, very driven. But the, the executives of the good companies tend to be brash, proud, rather offensive characters that people put up with rather than like in their role. And when he looked at the companies that had gone viral, that were really great, he said the guys leading those ones seemed to be humble, seemed to be self-effacing, seemed to be liked, to prefer to raise up their colleagues rather than themselves, in people's estimation. So in general, says Proverbs, if there is something good to say about you, then why not let someone else say it? That's better for your heart. But even then, beware. Look at 27 verse 21. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Okay, so uh, beware of speaking well about yourself. And if someone else speaks well of you, it's a test. It refines you like gold or silver. And it means you can go one way or the other. You could allow yourself to get proud on the basis of that praise. You could get puffed up by it and think more highly of yourself. Or you can hear that praise and respond with humility. Lift your eyes to God. Thank him and ask him that you might use uh, those gifts that you have to serve. So God honors the humble. How practically can we attain humility? There's a danger of Pride, even in pursuing that, I want to get more and more humble and then I can feel humble, I don't know. Um, Two things on your sheet, very quickly. Fearing the Lord, be uh, be humbled by fearing the Lord and be humbled by trusting Jesus. It's clear from these proverbs that fearing the Lord goes hand in hand with wisdom. 1533, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honour. And 22 verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Fearing the Lord, in Proverbs terms, is the ultimate of looking up rather than down. Fearing God is saying to God, you rule and not me. You're wise and not me. You're all-powerful and not me. You're perfect in love and mercy and moral purity and a million other characteristics and not me. So I need you. Help me. Hold my hand through this life. I trust you for my identity, for my worth, for my self-esteem, for my future. Fearing the Lord will breed humility in us. And the New Testament completes that picture. Be humbled by trusting Jesus. We read Titus 3. If you've got it there, just have a quick glance. The end of verse 2 Paul is writing about how to show true humility towards all men and describes in verse 3 that rat race of pride that all humanity is engaged in. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's an extreme but accurate description of the battle of pride within humanity. But, verse 4, When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. Trusting Jesus is to let go of pride. It's to admit our sin and our failure, admit our weakness, to just throw ourselves on his mercy, to trust him to lift us up. And then, to treat each other in the way verse 2 says, with humility, true humility, and not pride. The more we trust in Jesus, the more that ugly game of pride will be over. If we trust in Jesus this morning, we're all forgiven sinners, with self off the throne and Jesus on it. And true humility will enable us to love and serve rather than use each other for pride. Let's pray that we'll do that. Father, you see everything in our hearts. You see the selfishness. You see the motives by which our relationships with others are so often driven. We are deeply sorry for the pride that we so often harbour in our hearts, even if it is unseen from the outside. We know that you see it. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for people such as us. We thank you so much that our pride need not be the end of the story, that this ugly game can be ended. We thank you that Jesus has died, has risen, has done everything necessary to take your forgiven people to glory. And we pray that we would cling to that rather than to our own achievements. Please free us from ourselves and our obsession with ourselves that we might love and serve and bring you glory through that. In Jesus' name, amen.